Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about classical education. My name is Graham Donaldson. Hi, and I'm here with A.J. Hannenberg. That's me. And Thomas Fletcher Magby. Hello. And the aim of this podcast is to take the old things, the classical things, the things of uh, Western civilization and package them into nice little podcastual packets and send them to you. Podcastules? Yeah. That, that's a unit like of some measurement. Yeah. Hor- something that you need to get surgically one? removed. No, it's a unit of measurement. Yeah. Um, and we And we lovingly nestle them in your ears um, so that you can learn and love the heritage of the Western world. I don't know. Um, we like old things. Yes. We teach at a classical school and we think that there is worth in learning the old things. And that's why we're here. And today, Arthur Jan Hanneberg is going to take us on a pilgrimage. We are going to be going from Ingeland to Canterbury. And we are going to, and on that pilgrimage, we're going to get bored. And so we are going to listen to some tales, some Canterbury tales. Uh, take it away, Arthur. <laughs> Not to be confused with Cadbury, which ah uh, yes, is an egg. It's a chocolatey tale. We are coming up on Easter here. Yeah, actually, Cadbury, the family of Cadbury, it is a there's a there's a whole other episode. The family of Cadbury, they're really? Quakers. Oh, and I mean. uh, they were trying to make the whole chocolate industry was an attempt to make nutritious like meal supplements. Mm-hmm. So it's, they're basically like, oh, what's that stupid gross thing that ever that all the uh, startup bros like? Um, what? Uh, the like, I don't need to eat. I just need to drink this. Oh, Soylent? Yeah, Soylent. Yeah. It's got all my nutrients yeah. in it. Um, uh, that was what basically the original chocolate industry was trying to do. They, really? this, they, they thought it was super nutritious, and then it was just gross without sugar. And then, and then yeah, anyway, Cadbury. Uh, the House of Cadbury and the House of Lint and the House of um, Hershey, the mm. American house. They're really fascinating. <laughs> the, whole, the House of Snickers? The house, yes, yes. The Snickers and, house. And the Reese household? Yeah, the, the, the House of Reese. Which um, unfortunately became fractured and now is in pieces. It's in pieces, pieces. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so there's a whole other classical stuff podcast episode no on chocolate. Sorry, mm. Hanenberg. Canterbury Tales. No, 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 that's super interesting. We should do something on chocolate. That'd be fun. So we are jumping back into the Canterbury Tales. So do you boys remember what, what happened last time? Who are the folks from Canterbury? Where are they going? Who's the writer? What's the story? Can you tell me first, who's Chaucer? Chaucer was a poet. He also made sure people did collected taxes the right way, mm-hmm. and he was good at it. Yeah. Oh, and an early classical stuff we got wrong. I said that Canterbury Tales was written during the reign of Edward III. It is, in fact, written in, during the reign of his son, hmm. Richard II. Hmm. Right. So, there you go. Sorry, Internet. <laughs> so a bunch of people Please are, forgive me, Internet. <laughs> they're taking a pilgrimage, and they get a free meal if they tell a good story. So they're telling a bunch of stories to try and tell a good one. Yep. <clears throat> and and disputes rise up, and the first tale we have is a noble one about from, from a knight, and it's about two brothers, Palamon and Arcite, that fall in love with a lady, Emily, and she doesn't really want to hang out with anybody. And then eventually Arcite wins her hand and then dies almost instantly, and then Palamon eventually gets the girl. Because he bonks his head on his horse pommel. <laughs> yep, he gets bucked off his horse and shatters his brain. Bummer. Uh, that is not the end of fun deaths we'll have today, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And then in between are two tales, the Miller's and the Reeves' tale. Now, these tales are tales that we will not be visiting on the podcast. There is a reason that Chaucer is seen as a bit of a body artist. Anybody who's actually seen the movie The Knight's Tale, Chaucer mm. is, you know, he kind of drinks and he kind of yells and he kind of... That's not accurate, I think, to who the man himself was. He would have been a fastidious tax collector. Mm, right. <laughs> but but he tells stories about people like that. He really does tell stories about people like that. And the Miller's Tale... He has characters that are kind of dirty men, and the dirty men tell dirty stories. And, yeah, the, and the stories are dirty, and, and the people in the stories are dirty. And, and so it's just three layers of dirty, right? They're, they're kind of delightful. It's a drunk guy that tells a story about people, and there's drinking, and there's... I'm I a can't lot of in, butts. There's yeah. a lot of butts. <laughs> a lot of butts. I can't go into details, which <laughs> uh, so we're not going to go into details on those. If you are interested, you can go back and, and read the Millers and the Reeves tale. And they sort of go against each other because the Miller <laughs> makes one about a carpenter. The carpenter makes one about a Miller and they sort of paint each other in not a fa- favorable light. That's awesome. Right. So. Yeah, after the Miller tells a story about a, a carpenter or a Reeve, the Reeve yeah. is like, oh, yeah, well, I got a tale about a Miller, and then <laughs> drops one about a Miller, and in both ones, they, they don't look good. And then we have uh, the Cook's Tale, mm-hmm. and the Cook's Tale is short, and it seems to be connected to the Millers and the Reeves. He basically says 
there was this apprentice to a guy and the apprentice partied a lot and gambled a lot and then eventually he got kicked out of his job and went to live with prostitute. And that's the end of the tale. It's about a page and a half and they think it's unfinished. And so I'm not going to spend any time there because they think it's unfinished. Now, the poor cook in Canterbury Tale, he is going to Canterbury because he has gout and he's wanting St. Thomas Beckett to cure his gout. And he has gout because he only eats his delicious cooking. He's like thick sauces. And so his legs are all puffy and he's oh, sad and in pain. And they make of it. fun of him because he, he'll take pies and like remix them and then rebake them and they're old and smelly. He's not a good cook, <laughs> right, this guy. And it seems to me that after the Millers and the Reeves tale, the reason he tells it is he's like, oh, you guys have tales about people getting away with stuff, huh? Here's one about a guy who does bad and ends up in a bad life. And it's not a very good... I like to think that it's finished and it's just not a very good story. And it <laughs> yeah. turns out that the cook is not only a bad cook, he's just kind of a bad that's, storyteller. That's, fun. that's funnier. Can't put yeah. his recipe together. Yeah. yeah. In my head, that's what's happening. <laughs> but I think it's actually just an unfinished tale. All right, next we have the man of law. Now, the man of law is well-dressed, he's well put together, he's fairly rich, and he gives his big introduction, and a piece of it is, isn't it a bummer to be poor, right? Being poor is a really rough thing for everyone. And I don't quite see how that connects. Maybe, maybe you guys can help me put it together. But the story begins with some rich chapmen who live in Syria, and they need to go sell their wares, and so they head to Rome. And while in Rome selling their stuff from Syria, they hear about the princess of Rome. And the princess of Rome is beautiful, and she is chaste, and she is virtuous, and oh man, all of Rome is just gaga for her. She is the Lady Di of Rome. Right, Princess Diana? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. sure. Maybe not, not a perfect analogy, but everyone loves her. She's kind of a mascot. She's great. Jeez. So they go back, and they tell the prince of Syria about this, and the prince falls in love. Hmm. Just from hearing about... In absentia, oh. he fall, falls totally in, in love with this person. These things happen. And, <laughs> okay. And Chaucer says that, alas, it is written in the stars that he will find his death because of love. And then he goes on to talk more about the stars. And he says, Paraventure, in filk large book, which, which that men cleep the heaven e writing was with stars, when that he his birth took, that he for love should with his death, alas... For in the stars, clearer than is glass, is written, God woot, whoso could it read, the deeth of every man, without indreed. In stairs, S-T-E-R-R-E-S, in stairs, many a winter there before was written the deeth of Ector, Achilles, of Pompey, Julius, ere they were born, the strife of Thebes and of Hercules, of Samson, Turnus, and of Socrates. The deeth, but men's written be so, been so dull that no white can well read it at full. Basically, our f- future is in the stars if, oh, if only we could read it. But we're just bad at reading, boys, so we can't figure out the stars. <laughs> Bummer. Which is this weird thing that kind of happens all throughout Chaucer is that he, we, we talked about it way, way back in one of our first podcasts, The Spheres, that medieval man believed that the spheres had influence over our lives. And so the stars, you know, having an influence or telling the future had had some sort of influence on what was going on. And the church didn't even necessarily say this was a bad thing. Yeah, because the... the um the word there is influence as opposed to determination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, um, there's still room for free will. There's still room for man to act, but there can be influence that the planets are influencing our attitudes, our dispositions, our moods. Um, but it is in fact, uh, but we still, yeah, it's not determination. And uh, there's still parts of that today. Not so much. Um, I'm not thinking like astrology, but like, there are people that say, man, it's a full moon. Our kids are crazy. It's like, oh, okay. I think maybe it's true. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. Anyway, that's in there. And so he calls together all his counselors and he's like, boys, how do I get this lady? How, how can we make this happen? Right? I'm a prince of Syria. She's a princess. Let's, let's make it happen. And they try to think of everything. Right, so diverse men, diverse things said, and they argument and cast an up and down. Many a subtle reason forth they laden. They speaken of magic and abusion, but finally, as in conclusion, they cannot seen in that none advantage, nay, in none other way, save marriage. It's like, boy, hmm. you gotta marry her. Yeah, yeah marry that girl. And he realizes that the only way to do it is to become a Christian. And so he, hasn't met her, wants to become a Christian, so he can be with her. 
Yes. Okay. And so he decides to convert. Okay. And he sends word and he says, hey, I'd like to marry your princess and I am converting to Christianity. That's the story. And vows are made on both sides, right? The same accord was sworn on either side. Now, fair Custance, almighty God, the guide. So that was her, that was her name, Custance. I think that's kind of an earlier version of Constance. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was reading this with my book club, one of the guys said that he wondered if this was connected to Constantine, right, as the original mm-hmm. Christian emperor. And she's just sort of an echo of, of Constantine, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, the emperor says, okay, great. My daughter's getting married. So he dresses her up and he makes her look good. And she is so incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, mother and father, I'll never see you guys again. It's so sad. And then she gets sent off and goes to Syria. Now, there's, there's, there's a problem. His mom. The, the prince of Syria's mom. How do you think she feels about all this? Horrible. She probably is not too thrilled. Yeah. She's, leaving the religion and, yeah. She's definitely she's not a girl. Fan. Yeah. Yeah. She's, so, so she falls, calls together all her counselors and she says, guys, we got to make this happen. He has left Muhammad. He has left the faith. He is getting married to this Christian woman. And I would rather rule than him. So what do you guys think? Are you going to follow my lead? And they all go, yeah, totally following your lead. And she says, we shall first feign us Christendom to take. Cold water shall not grieve us, but a light. Like basically we can get baptized. That won't hurt. And I shall such a feast and revel make that I as tro, I shall the sodan quite. For though his wife be christened, never so white, she shall have need to wash away the red, though she a fontful of water with her lead. Dang. So basically it's going to get bloody yeah. and... And that's what happens. He, I'm going to read you these two pieces and they're only really, they're not going to matter now, but we're, they're going to matter as I come into the next tale. So this man of law says of the Sultan's mother, O Sodanese, root of iniquity, virugo thou semi-rhyme the scoundrel, O serpent under femininity, like to the serpent deep in hell abound, O feigned woman, all that may confound virtue and innocence, thy malice is bred in thee as nest of every vice. O Satan, envious sin thilk day that thou were chased from our heritage. Well knowest thou to women the old way. Thou madest Eva bring us in servage. Thou wilt fordoon this Christ in marriage. Thy instrument so waylay the while. Makest thou of women when thou wilt beguile. Basically, women are kind of bad news and Satan's really good at duping women into doing what he wants them to do. <laughs> Whose tale is this? This is the man of law's oh, tale. Okay. So, and again, that's not going to matter as much now, but it's going to matter a whole lot more later. All right. And then it happens, right? They, the, the wife arrives, the Sultan meets her on the boat and he says, Hey, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. They smooch a little bit. And then they have this feast and here's what happens for shortly for to tell at a word, the Soden and the Christian Everichun been, a tro- to, been all to hew and sticked at the board, but it were only Dame Custance alone. Basically, she killed everybody except for the wife. Hmm. So she left the princess, I think probably because she didn't want to tangle with Rome and have war on her hands, Rome. but she killed everybody else and decided to rule in her stead. Wow. And so they took the girl, plunked her on a boat. So she killed her son? Yeah. Oh. She killed her nice. son and then took over. So she took her girl, plunked her on a boat, and then said, have fun in Rome, bye, and then sent her off with no crew, with nothing nothing else. They did give her plenty of food and water, but that's it. And so this poor girl right. has no idea how to sail. Right? She doesn't know what's going on. This is on. beginning to sound like allegory to me. You think so? Yeah, yeah. The like Constance by yourself. Anyway, whatever. We'll get those pieces. We'll put those pieces together yeah. by yeah, the end. Yeah, you'll get there. So she sails, and then there, he was on this big kind of list about how God, the savior can save her in her, in her sorrow. And then eventually she falls in Northumberland. So she arrives. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, it's a trip like, and a half. You got to go past Rome to get there. <laughs> yeah. So she, she sails a long way. So she goes from Syria to, to Northumberland. Northumberland. <laughs> so Northumberland is like in the North of England. Northumberland is like around New York. But is it an accident or she's not intending to go there, is she? Oh, no, certainly okay. no. Yeah. Yeah. You got you even got you even got to like pass by France. You got to go around England to get to Northumberland. It's probably Vikings. It's almost more impressive that she yeah, did that. Yeah, good job. Far. Yeah. Yeah, it's really quite the feat of sailing. Wait, so would she where would she have had to go? That is that on the other side of So, if she wanted to get to Northumberland, 
Um, there are. I don't know geometry. Are they? They're putting her. I'm assuming she's going in the Mediterranean as as opposed to going up the rivers through Russia, which oh, sometimes naturally. happened. Yeah, let's fun assume. fact. So, did you know that no. Vikings? No, I didn't. Um, that uh, were um, so Vikings. So, like in Norway and Scandinavia, um, did a lot of trade through the rivers through Russia down the Balkans into Turkey, and for a long period of time. The royal guards of the emperor of the Byzantine Empire, uh, Byzantine Empire so the ruler of, of Constantinople, his personal guards were Vikings. So you had these Norwegian Vikings with their horns and their battle axes in the middle of the Turkish like desert, guarding the emperor, guarding the Christian emperor. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Anyway, sounds awesome. Yeah, um, they were known. They had their own name, and they were known to drink a lot, um, fornicate. And and kill people, which also sounds like Vikings. But yeah, if she wanted I, I to get to Northumberland, surprised. she would either have to go through the Mediterranean, pass yeah. the, through the Straits of Gibraltar, yep. and, then, and then around Ireland, Spain, yeah. uh, either go and then go through the uh, you know the English Channel, and then around up to York, or. She could have done what the Vikings did and go up the. But if they put her in the in the sea in a boat, they would yeah, yeah. as opposed to rivers through Russia and then out through. Right. Viking land and then crazy. Good for her. <laughs> yeah, man. So she she sails, she arrives in Northumberland and she's found by this constable and she looks so sweet and so sad and just so piteous that he's like, oh, I got to take care of you. And she claims uh, that she's lost, lost her mind. Not totally hmm. lost her mind, but lost her memory at least. So here's the quote. She said she was so mazed in the sea that she forgot her mind by her truth. The constable hath of her so great pity, and eke his wife, eke means also, that they weep in for Ruth. She was so diligent without in sloth to serve and please an everage in that place that all her lovin' that looketh in her in her face. I mean, that's also a, that's a trope that happens a lot if you spend lots of time on water is madness. Mm. That, that comes a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in uh, Moby Dick. And also, I mean, it's just the sea being chaos and living in chaos driving you crazy is... And she's also been by herself this whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she says she's lost her memory. She hasn't. She's just being smart. Right. If she says, hi, I'm the princess of Rome. Like that can get you into a lot of trouble, especially if she's like, I was also involved in the murder of the Sultan King. Like that's, that's also a problem. So she's there and she meets the constable's wife, Herman Guild. And Herman Guild is awful sweet. And Constance or Custis is so sweet and so good and so pious that Herman Guild converts. Mm. Because at this point, they are all pagans in that place. Right. In fact, they've kicked out all the Christians and the Christians all fled. You want to guess to where? Ireland. Wales. Oh, Wales. <laughs> so they've all gone to Wales, but there's a few that are still Christian or just kind of hiding it, living in exile kind of around the castle. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of unknown that this is happening. Anyway, she converts uh, Herman Guild, not the husband, just Herman Guild, and that one of these Christian Britons that has been living around the ca- castle her- hears about Custance. And he kind of understands that people are converting and comes and he's blind. And while they're walking along the road one day, he calls out and he says, hey, stop in the name of Christ, Dame Hermengild, give me my sight again. So she's like, oh, and she doesn't say anything. She doesn't bless him. She doesn't give him anything because she's afraid her husband will find out she's a Christian and kill her. Right. But Constance says, hey, be strong, be bold, tell your husband what's really up. So she says, hey, I'm a Christian. And that's what's happening. And the husband says, okay, and converts too. So now she's got the constable and the wife. And everything's going really well. Except there's a young man. And he really likes Constance. And he tries to woo her. But he doesn't. He doesn't get anywhere. The line is, he woe with her, but it availeth not. She will do no sin by no way. So he, he tries to get with her and she says no. And so he wants to get back at her. So one night... While the constable is away, he climbs into Herman Guild's window. And Herman Guild happens to be sleeping in the same bed as Constance. Like, they're just sort of sharing a bed. And there weren't that many beds back then. So, they're, they're sleeping. He climbs in besides Herman Guild, slits her throat. Oh. Lays the hand in Constance's, or lays the, the knife in Constance's hand and then bails. Wow. And then the next day, accuses her of the murder of Herman Guild. Mm-hmm. And so the constable brings her before the king and the king's name is Allah. I know that's weird considering yeah. we are just, just in another land, but it's, I don't think there's any connection with the, 
oh, Allah, the God of I don't Islam. Think they, maybe they didn't even know. Yeah, his name is just Allah. And so he comes and she's standing there and she's got no champion. She's got no help. She's got nobody. And the king is just like, how can this person be guilty? Everyone in the town is like, there's no way she did this. But that guy is so adamant. He's like, I know she did this. I know she is guilty. And so the king has compassion. And he says, now hastily do fetch a book, quote he. And if this knight will swear in how that she, this woman slow or slew, yet will we us advise whom that we will, that shall bin our just eyes. So they bring a book and it's the gospels written in Celtic. Hmm. I don't know that he, the king would have known because remember Christians are sort of kicked out at this point, but he's like, hey, get a book. He'll have to swear on a book. And so the guy swears on the book and he says, uh, a Britain book written with Evangelies was fed, and on this book he swore anon that guilty she was, and in the meanwhiles a hand him smote upon the neck bone, that down he fell at once as a stone, and both his eye and brost out of his face in sight of everybody in that place. Um, oh, sorry, my headphones are actually playing our intro music because... <laughs> Hold on, let me fix that. Okay. Great. So basically, the guy, as the guy swears that she's guilty, he gets smacked on the back of the head, falls down, and his eyes pop out. Okay. But he's still alive. Oh. Which is weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then they basically, the king says, well, clearly this guy was a liar, so we're going to kill him. And they kill him. And then he's like, you know what? Also, this girl, she's clearly pretty nice, and she's everyone says she's rad, and she's awfully cute. So I think I'm going to marry her. Okay, great. So King Allah, who at this point is... Well, and also like God seems to be on her side, right? right? Like if you mess with her, your eyes get popped out. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the the funny thing is there's no real good explanation of what happens. It says a hand smote him on the neck bone. So like it's either a heavenly hand or just some dude from in the crowd is like, shut up, man. (laughs) Like hits him, knocks him over. And then there's a voice that says... Basically, she's she's the daughter of the Holy Church and she's awesome oh, just wow. randomly. And it doesn't say, again, whether it's God or just like some guy from the background going, she's great. Shut up. Kill that guy. <laughs> um, but you're right. He decides to to marry this girl and they get married. And then it's great, except for his mom. Oh, I'm oh, crying another one? Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is like the evil stepmother archetype. Yeah. Is right this here. the message of the story? Yeah. <laughs> And her name is Donna Guild, and she is not really having it. And she so, doesn't want to. She's pagan. Uh, no, she's she's. I, I think know. she just doesn't like her very much, mm. and she's not into it. And and so the king and his new wife go to bed, as is a thing that they do, and still do. They still do. And I, I know this is weird to kind of to kind of highlight, but it says. They gone to bed as it was skyle and right. For though that wives be full holy things, they must take in patience at night such manner necessaries as been pleasings to folk that had wedded him with rings. And basically, marriage, you know, it's, it's a thing you have to do. We're going to get to why that's important. I promise right. you, listener. I know that's strange in this story, but it's... No, it's just the way that they're talking about it is if it's like, yeah, it's just, you know, one of those unfortunate realities yeah. of marriage. And that's the way that the man of law talks about it. He's oh, like, okay. sometimes, I mean, she's super chaste, but you know, she got married. She kind of has to, Yeah, right? That's kind of how he talked about it. Okay. So the king returns to the front and then she has a kid or mm. like she's with child and, and then she has it. And then, so they send a messenger to the king to say like, Hey, you got a baby boy and it's awesome. And it's healthy. The king it's of red. Rome. No, the same, the, this king, the oh, king this in king. Britain, yeah, yeah. He's, he's off fighting and she has gotcha. a kid. And so she sends a message, but the messenger stops by the, the queen Donegild's house. And he's like, Hey, you've got a kid, you know, you got a granddaughter. Congratulations. And she's like, Oh, that's great. Why don't you stay here all night? And we'll, uh, I'll send you off tomorrow morning. So she plies him with ale and then replaces the letter with something else. Oh, bummer. So the letter to the king is different now. I'll, and I'll read you. The letter spake the queen delivered was of so horrible a fiendly creature that in the castle none so hardy was that any wild dorst there endure. The mutter was an elf by adventure he come in, by charms or by sorcery, and every white hateth her company. Basically, the child is nasty, the mom's an elf, and everyone d- doesn't want to hang out with either of them. And so the king gets this letter and he is just grieved. And he writes back, Welcome the son of Christ forevermore to me that am now learned in his lore because he's converted as well. Lord, welcome by thy lust and thy pleasance. My lust I put in all thine ordinance. 
keepeth this child, mm. albeit foul or fair, and eke my wife unto my homecoming. Christ, when him list, may send me an heir more agreeable than this to my liking. Basically, keep him. I'll figure out what's going to happen when I come home, and hopefully he'll give me a good heir instead of a goblin. Right? Yep. So well, he, has a, he has a good reaction to this. He does. Yeah. He's That's a really good. virtuous yeah. rad king. Yeah. Well, the, the messenger stops by the queen's house again on the way back. And she finds it and replaces... Because, I mean, the first time, she gave you food and drink. Right. It was awesome. I know. So he goes back and he stops. And, well, she replaces the letter again. And the, the letter now reads, The king commandeth his constable anon, up pain of hanging, and on high justice, that he should suffer in no wise custis in with his realm for to abide three days and a quarter of a tide. But in the same ship as he her found... Hire and her young son and all her gear he should put and crowd her for the land and charge her that she never eft come there. Basically. But you and your goblin kid are going on a boat. Yeah. We're going to we're gonna send you off. And so she gets this letter. She thinks it's from the king and oh, man. they put her on the boat. So sad. And wow. she even pleads at one point. She's like, constable, will you please have mercy and, and let my child live here with you? And if not, at least kiss him. Mm. And so he doesn't let it stay. He kisses it. And then they send, send the girl off. And she says, farewell, husband, ruthless. And up she wow. wrist and walketh down the strand toward the ship. Oh, that mom's going to get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So she leaves and the king comes home. And the, const- and the constable says, Lord, as ye commanded me on pain of death, I have done certain. Like I mm-hmm. oh, no. ditch what you want to do. And he finds out and he is furious. And he then goes and kills his mom as a traitor. Wow. He, his mooder slough is what it says. His mood, yeah. yeah. Slough or good. So the woman and the child are on the boat for five years. Wow. Hmm. At one point, they stop at a small pagan country. I don't think it really says which one. And everyone comes down and is like, whoa, check out that boat and that lady and that kid. That's weird. And then at night, a thief comes on board and says, basically, I'm going to be your lover, whether you'd like me to be or not. And she is given holy strength by Mary and she chucks him overboard. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's good. <laughs> so she escapes that, that problem. And then... Uh, again, so I'm going to read you a little piece of piece of info. O foul lust of luxury, lo thine end. Not only that thou faintest man's mend, but ver- verily thou wilt his body shend. The end of thy work or of thy lusts blind is complaining. How many one may men find that not for work sometime, but for thy intent to done this sin, been other slain or shend? Basically, lust is bad. Bad news. Don't ever go there. It's bad. So... We kind of have a meanwhile. So she is sailing around in the ship for five years um, with, and I don't, I don't pretend to know how it works to raise a child from zero to five on a ship while sailing alone. It's tough. Yeah. Single Sounds mom. Like it. Yeah. Uh, when we were reading it in the single mothers, you know, yeah. and, the, yeah. and all the pressures they face, especially when they're on a boat. Yeah. Yeah. It's the by worst. themselves. Yeah. When we were reading it, I was like, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if she showed up in Rome and she's like, yep, it's just me. Nobody else was on this ship with me. Just me. See you later. <laughs> um, so we find out that meanwhile, the, the king of Rome has figured out what happened to his daughter and yeah. found out that everybody got killed. And so he sends a dispatch of a, a senator and a bunch of guys to go and basically take revenge. To Northumberland or to Syria? To Syria. Yeah. Um, so they all go to Syria. They kill the Syrian mother and all her people and sort of get good, solid revenge. And then on the way back, as they sail... They go to Northumbria? <laughs> no, they don't go to Northumberland, but they do run into her. Uh-oh. They see a boat and she's like, hey! And then they track her down and they bring her back. And she has no idea, but I think it's that this man's hus- wife is her aunt. So she ends up living with this senator and her aunt, and she, she doesn't know. Mm-hmm. But Do they, she, and they don't know that it's her? They don't know that it's her, and she is just happy as a clam and having a good time. I mean, this isn't a time when there's television, so you, you don't always know what people look like, right? You may have yeah. heard that the king's daughter was chaste and wonderful and beautiful, but you'd have no idea that that's actually true. And so she's living with these people, and it goes really well and for several years. And then eventually, King Alla of Northumberland feels really bad about killing his mom. <laughs> And so he's like, man, I have got to go make some penance for this. Going on pilgrimage. And so where do you go for penance, boys? Rome. Rome. You go to Rome. And so he contacts the senator and he's like, hey, can you set me up some lodging and set me up some time in Rome? So the senator does. And he comes down and the senator goes and he takes Maurice, which is the name of this child that has been had by Constance. And Maurice looks spot on like Constance. Like exactly. And so they go and they have dinner with Allah and Allah starts looking at that kid and he's like, 
Oh boy, that's weird. Yeah. Then he's like, where? Where did you find this kid? <laughs> found him on a boat. And they're like, yeah, I found him on a boat. This weird girl. <laughs> and like brought her home. And he's like, for reals? Take me to her. And so he goes Aww. and he finds her. And what do you think her reaction is? She's she's probably ticked because she thought Wait. he sent him on a boat. Oh, she's terrified. Yeah. Yeah. She's, yeah, like, she's like absolutely mortified. Yeah. And she it says she goes like stiff as a tree and mm. can't talk and can't think and can't do anything. Because she thought he wants to kill her. And Yeah, she thought he had sent, sentenced her to certain death. And so he basically says, it wasn't me. It was my mom. <laughs> Please <laughs> forgive me. And he pleads and he pleads and he pleads and finally gets through to her and it works out. And then they together want to go and have dinner with the Roman emperor, like the actually her dad. Mm-hmm. And so they set it up and she goes and she kneels down and she says, you have forgotten your daughter. And he's like, no, I didn't. Welcome back, girl. And basically it's blessed. And he, they get married. I mean, they, you know, they are married, but basically he blesses the marriage and they head back to Northumberland. Mm-hmm. And there you go. Happily ever after. Actually, no. Oh. Uh, <laughs> the man of law is like, yeah, but bliss doesn't last, as Ooh. everyone in this world knows. And King Alla died a year later. Oh, come on. Which is so sad. So she got her stuff. Yeah, they got a year, though. And yeah. went back home and lived with all of her friends in Rome. No. Oh, yeah. The end. That's the end of that story. That's Interesting. So, so you were saying it sounded like an allegory, it still feels, it, Well, it feels like an allegory or feels like an allegorical history of, like, the spread of Christianity, or at least how they would have thought about it in the Middle Ages. Catholicism tries to go east and then runs into opposition. Runs into opposition in fake conversions and and then a power that they can't fight in in Islam, and so then it goes west and it goes to England and obviously this is an England centric story because mm-hmm. it's being told by an Englishman. So and then she goes and she goes to the pagan kings and they they agree with it. And accepted, and then there's all sorts of crazy things that happen, and then it goes back and forth, and in the, yeah, it just sort of feels like there's something going on with either an allegory talking about constancy as a virtue, and like just sort of um, always sort of trusting that God is going to that if you are someone who loves God and trusts God, you will eventually God will sort of right all of the wrongs in your life, and the wrongs will have turned out to be okay and necess- and like maybe part of the plan all along. Maybe it's that kind of story, or it could be just sort of like an allegorical telling of the spread of the faith in England. Um, I know there's tons of those kinds of stories, especially, and they're always ones of like the virtuous girl who's forced to marry or marries the pagan king, and then he gets converted because he sees how virtuous she is and all these kinds of things. So um, there was a, the famous story that I know was the one of, of Ethelreda. Which what? is, if you're looking for a girl's name, Magby, if yeah. you have a girl, uh, Ethelreda is probably my, that's my top choice. Um, but she was like, one of those, she was one of those virtuous Christians who married a pagan king. And then the pagan king's like, all right, well, we're married. We're going to have a child. And she's like, I don't want to sleep with you. And then he's like, well, you got to because you're my wife. And then like an angel came in mm-hmm. and was like, actually, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> and the pagan king was like, oh, crap. <laughs> uh, you know, there's just stories like that. So it just sounds like. It could be having that sort of allegorical kind of aspect to it. Well, yeah, I didn't really Especially highlight... it's the name, right? Constance. Yeah, and I didn't highlight the name, the the holiness aspects of it, but there, he has these big asides where he's like, and who but Christ could have preserved her on those five hmm. years on the boat, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. And it was him on the cross that made sure that she traveled for five... Like, just over and over and over again, he harps on Christ's faithfulness, and obviously her faithfulness is sort of a piece of that, right? If she is faithful, God is faithful, and... yeah. There are, there are sort of some moral lessons to draw there, mm-hmm. which leads us to the wife of Bath. <laughs> now, the wife of Bath is a little bit older. She's gap-toothed. She wears pretty nice clothes, and she has a hat as wide as a buckler, it says. So a big, big shield she wears on her head. She's been married five times. Yep. And she's been married five times. Well, and I think... They died. They died. Yeah, oh, married oh, and oh. widowed. It's not okay. like she's been trading. She's around. not a black okay. widow. She's not like Curious. killing her husbands yeah. for cash. I don't know. Yeah, we know. I mean, we don't really know. She's pretty rich. And if I remember, between the fourth and the fifth, she was kind of into the fifth at the wedding of the fourth. So, or not the wedding, the the funeral. You know, it's like she's interring her old husband, and she's like, "That guy over there carrying the casket is pretty cute." These things happen. (laughs) Can't judge it. Yeah, it's yeah. So weirdly enough, with the wife of Bath. Her prologue or her in between, you know, between the tales when we kind of flash back to the pilgrimage that they're making is longer than her actual tale. And basically she starts talking about marriage. And at the beginning, she's like, well, you know what? Uh, Chastity might be important. 
but nowhere does God forbid or, or demand chastity. Nowhere are we told that we have to be virgins. And she, she also is like, and if you guys want virgins, where are you guys going to get them except other people who are doing other things? Like you can't have everybody be virgin and still have people. And she goes on and she says, yeah, marriage isn't for everybody, but it is definitely for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Good for her. I love marriage. And then we get some details about how she controls her husband's and mostly it's through nagging. Oh. And if she wants something, she'll say, why does this wife get what she wants and I don't get what I want? And and then she also talks about how if she wants to go out at night, she kind of does it by underhanded flattery, where she'll say, I have to go out to watch the houses of other women that are beautiful so that you don't visit them. Basically, I need to make sure that you are faithful and that's why I go out at night. And then she gets to go out and do whatever she wants to because her husband believes that she is being extra super faithful. And she talks a little bit about her fourth husband who liked to dance and drink. And she also liked to drink and then they would have a good time together. And then her fifth husband who basically all day would read in a book about unfaithful wives and tried to rule her and tell her what to do. It was like one of the only times when she felt ruled by a man and just all day long, he'd be like, here's an example of a bad wife. Here's an example of a bad wife. Here's an example of a bad wife. And she just about had it so that one day he was reading by the fire. She tore a page out of his book. Which now isn't really a big deal, right? You can get, find like penny copies on Amazon. Back then, a book is hand copied, right? Right. That's it's incredibly expensive. So she tears it out and then basically shoves him into the fireplace, and he burns his bum a little bit. <laughs> so he stands up and he slaps her. Whoa! And she hits the floor and starts bleeding out of her head. Like wow. he he hits her real good. Aww. And then she wakes up and she's like, "What have you done?" And basically guilts him into submitting to her from then on out. And Mm. so from then on out, he basically does everything she says. And so her whole monologue at the beginning is about marriage, about how women can control husbands, about the nature of marriage, about the nature of women, about how sex is a good thing and about how all of these things come together. So I'll read you the tale and then we can sort of talk about the two tales in comparison. So her tale begins, she says, in a time where elves and magical things exist, right? And it's during King Arthur's time. And King Arthur had in his house a lusty bachelor that on a day came riding from river and happened that alone as he was born, he saw a maid walking him before. So she was out in front of him. Of which maid anon maugri her heed, by very force, he raped her maidenhead. So basically, he raped this poor girl. Mm. And... News got out, right? It's yeah. it's a small town. Immediately it gets back to the king and the king is like, you know the penalty for this, it's death. Like You have to die. And all of the maids of the court are like, please don't kill him, that's kind of sad. I mean, let's do something else. And so he's really? like, yeah. They, they all plead on his behalf. Yeah. And then the king says, all right, well, I'll hand him over to the queen and the queen can do what she wants. And so the queen says, thou standest yet in such array that of thy life yet hast thou no surety. I grant thee life, if thou canst tell me what thing is it that women most desire. Be war and keep thy neck bone from iron. Basically, if you can tell me what women most want, then you then you live. get to live. Hmm. And she's like, if you can't tell me right now, I'm going to give you 12 months to figure it out. So he <laughs> leaves. And for 12 months, he runs like the most expansive interview campaign right. you've ever seen in your life. And he just asks women what they want. So I... I uh, on the way over here, thinking about this podcast, I was wondering where I would ask you guys questions. And oh, this no. is one I wanted to ask you. Like, what is it that women really want? But I think that this question is so incredibly dangerous. Yeah, I see this going poorly. I mean, I can't. I'm, I'm a bachelor. Clearly, I have no idea. I guess it's kind of funny, though, because essentially Chaucer is the one answering this question, right? Yep. So there'll be a man who's answering that question. I re- recurse my, recuse myself yeah, from this conversation. Yeah, this conversation. <laughs> yeah, so like Graham yeah. isn't answering. I don't think he wants to answer. Yeah. So... Um, this is like the plot of, isn't this the plot of, uh, that movie? Oh, shoot. What uh, movie? What, what Women Want? No, no. Yeah. There's that one. But there's also, it's like the, the plot of, uh, isn't it like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Isn't he? I don't know. I don't Maybe think not. so. That one was about like the, the ugly pretty girl, right? Where they, they're like, no, you no. have to go on a date with this no, girl. No, no, no. That one's about where he's like, needs to. Oh, you're right. That's 10 Things I Hate About You. Not yeah, How to Lose yeah, a, ten, yeah, yeah. a Guy in 10, get, 10 yeah, Days. Yes. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Okay. So he goes on a thing and he find, he gets a bunch of different answers one of them is they love riches best <laughs> one of them is jolliness right Jolly. girls just want to have fun uh-huh. uh, so they like to have fun they want lust a bed they 
want to be widowed and wed, basically getting married a whole bunch of times. That's what they like best. Huh. Uh, he's who is he interviewing to find these answers? Just women, just women oh. all over the places. Anybody he can ask. He's like, what do you want most? And they all answer him. And then one of them says to be flattered, right? Be flattered and pleased. And then the the wife of Bath gives commentary on this. She says, he goeth full nigh the, the truth. I will not lie. A man shall win us best with flatterai. And that's sort of her little side commentary. <laughs> just like it's it's a pretty good answer. And then she says, he all we also like to be free and do what we would like and not be reprieved for our own vice, like not be told what we're doing wrong and just do whatever we like. Um, that we behold stable and keep secrets. That's what we like. And then she even gives a few examples of people keeping secrets and one that can't keep a secret. Do you guys know the story of Midas from Ovid? Mm. This is what she brings up. So Midas, King Midas, uh, judged a, a musical competition. This is the same King Midas that had the, had the golden touch, Mm -hmm. but this was, I think after his gold scenario. So he judged a competition between Pan and Apollo on music mm-hmm. and who should win who should win that uh, pan, uh apollo apollo yeah, yeah. clearly yeah, yeah. he's the god of music right. and also all what does pan have but pan you got pan a little, little he's a little flute, yeah. fooly, fooly, fooly. It's, yeah. nah, he's not gonna win and so midas judged pan the winner and so in return apollo gave him donkey's ears mm-hmm. and so he would hide it under a turban and then he went to his barber and he told the barber hey man you can't tell anybody about this and the barber could not keep the secret right and so he went out dug a hole and then whispered it into the hole oh whispered the secret in the hole and then the weeds all grew up out of the hole the reeds and mm-hmm. then they whispered it as people walked by they'd be like he's got donkey's ears <laughs> like this in her, in the wife of Bath's version, she actually gets the tale wrong. She says it's the wife that goes down and whispers it to some water. And then she's like, if you want the rest of the tale, you can go and read Ovid. She doesn't <laughs> actually funny. tell you the end of it. That's funny. Um, so he, he interviews and he interviews and he interviews and he's so confused. And he's like, I can't, I can't figure it out. And then as he's traveling back to meet the queen, completely at a loss as to what to say, he sees a big gaggle of dancing girls. Young girls. Just, and he's like, just dancing in the just forest. happens. Yeah. He's like, weird. what's going on? Yeah. So as he comes to it, they vanish. And in their place is left an old woman. And she's like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and he's like, well, I got this whole situation. And she's like, okay, listen to this. I'll make you a deal. If, if you will grant me a favor, I will grant you the truth of this. Hmm. And he's like, fine, great, favors, bonus, whatever. And she's like, True shake on it and he shakes on it and then she says okay let's go and then they go to the queen and he they come and everybody's there and he's like she she the queen asks all right what's the answer and he says my liege lady generally women desire to have sovereignty as well over her husband as her love and for to been in maestry him above this is your most desire though ye me kill do with as you list. I am here at your will. Basically, women want to be in charge of their husband and their love and be masters over them. So what do you guys think happened? He... Oh. She, the, the are, are, agree- you, are you feeling like you're in I'm hot like, water right now? The queen agrees. The queen agrees and he's saved. The queen agrees because every every woman in the crowd is like, yeah, yeah we kind of do want <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So, oh so basically no one, no one objects. All the widows and all the young women and all the married women are like, yeah, he's kind of right. And so he gets to keep his life. Okay. And then the 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 old oh I know woman, what the favor is you got to marry me <laughs> really is that what I guess is? oh wow is it yeah that's crazy so that's the old crazy. woman is like he promised me a favor isn't that true and the guy's like it's true I promised her a favor and then she's like all right be my husband and he's like what no and the queen is like sorry it's got to happen yeah, like a lusty the young bachelor so they get married uh-huh. and. She's like, I would tell you what a beautiful scene it was of all the revelry and the joy. She's like, but there wasn't any of that. <laughs> right, exactly. Basically that morning in solemnity, he wed her quietly and in secret. And then they went home and he's just super bummed out. And then their wedding night comes and he is not having a good time, mm-hmm. right? Constrained he was, he needs most her wed and taketh his old wife and goeth to bed. And he's just uh, to which and she's like what's your deal because she's just sort of lying there smiling mm-hmm. and he's like turning around kind of just he just can't handle everything and he says I say there was no joy at feast at all there is not but heaviness oh no this is talking about the wedding anyway she's just like what's your deal and he's like I I don't like it I don't like that you're old and I don't like any <laughs> of this stuff and 
he, you are, <clears throat> you're kind of old and gross and you're from a bad family and you're not virtuous. And so, so she actually in, rebuts each of his points. Hmm. This is, this is one of the longest pieces of the tale. She's like, if gentlemanliness comes from, you know, my lineage, then no, I don't have lineage, but I've met many a man who doesn't have a good lineage and is good, right? Fire burns as bright, no matter what family it comes from or what home it's in. Right. So if that's the deal, then it's not that, right? I, I can be virtuous without having a good lineage. And yes, I am poor, but so was Jesus. And he wouldn't choose something bad, would he? Eat it. Yeah. Yeah. Eat it, basically. And she's like, yes, I'm old, but that's, and kind of ugly, but isn't that pretty good assurance that I'm not going to cheat on you? Oh, okay. Right? And he's like, oh, okay. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life. I don't want to bring up that oh. song, but that's all I thought of as I read this. Do you know that song, maybe? No. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. So from my, my personal, personal point, point of view, get, get an ugly girl to marry you. It was like a big song in the 50s. The yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I was alive in the 50s, that was my favorite song. Oh, well, don't to. you listen to oldies? Mm, apparently not. Yeah. Um, anyway. So she basically rebuts him at every point and then says, but if you're having problems, you get to choose. I will be young and faithless, right? And people will be visiting your house all day to hang out with me, or I will be old and completely faithful and true and good to you. All right. What do you think he chooses? I hope he chooses the second, yeah, old, old and faithful, Yeah, because, you know, there's... A, a you know, there's uh, happiness in a in a virtuous home. Yeah, that seems like the right answer. Oh, boys, mm -hmm. I think you would have had a rough time. My lady and my love and wife so dear, I put me in your wise governance. Ah. Cheeseth yourself, which may be most pleasant and most honor to you and me also. Oh, that's kind of. I nice. do not force force the weather of the two. <laughs> weather is a great word, by the way. Yeah. For as yow liketh. It sufficeth me. Then have I got of Yao Maestri, quote she, sin I may choose and govern as me lest? Yes, certain wife, quote he, I hold it best. Kiss me, quote she. <laughs> we be no longer wroth, for by my truth I will be Yao both. This to be saying ye both fair and good, I pray to God that I might starve in wood. Basically, I'm going to be both. She's like, because mm. you have given me the Aww. mastery, I get to be young and I'm going to be true. And she's like, and if you don't believe me, draw the curtain and he like <laughs> opens the curtain and the light streams in and she's beautiful and young and fair. And he's like, well, hot dang, I married a good one. And then they get together and live happily ever after. Yeah, and that is the tale them. of the wife of Bath with That's him great. under, with him under her thumb. Yeah, seriously. With <laughs> him under her thumb. I love it. Maybe not right. quite so. So happy now ending. bring those two tales together, gentlemen, mm. if you can. Oh gosh. I, I am. Mean, What's the thread? The thread is is marriage, both happy endings. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I'm drawing a blank on. Uh, so think about the character of Constance. But Constance doesn't rule over someone else like the old lady at the end of the second story. Yeah, never. But Constance is, I don't know, strong character. She makes it through a bunch of really crazy stuff. That doesn't really apply. I don't know. Um, Oh no, the dude, um, the knight in the second one doesn't like divorce the old woman and he doesn't break his promise, which he could have tried to do. He like is constant. He's loyal in his vow and he gets what he actually wanted. Oh, finding the good in people. I like that. Thomas. Yeah, in right. this one, the woman seems to be in charge of, of the story. Whereas in the other one, constant sort of seems to be at the mercy of of the story. Yeah. I think, I think in number one and remember, remember how he portrayed the marriage bed, mm -hmm. right? She's pure and you only have to go to the marriage bed. Mm -hmm. It's not like you have to, mm -hmm. and it's a bummer and it's not a piece of real life, or at least it shouldn't be of, of a real virtuous person. And I think that Constance is consistently submitting to her husband's and the will of her husband's mm -hmm. right. Husband says, get in a boat and go. And she says, yes, husband, I will. Right. He says, marry me again. And she's like, yes, husband, I will. She, she puts herself below all the men in the story. I think the wife of Bath story is a direct retaliation against mm. his story okay. where she's like, I see your peaceful wife and I give you a counterpoint. Here is what should actually happen. Right. 
men should be below. And she, as a wife who consistently rules her husband, like, I don't think her character could ever be mistaken for that of Constance. Right. And then so she gives a tale where the, the guy ends up getting what's good for him when he submits to the woman. <laughs> I guess it's like a reaction to the first story. So then, but Chaucer doesn't like say one of them is better than the other. No, no, Chaucer no. gives no comment. The only time Chaucer ever appears in the tale is when the man of law offhand refers to him and he's like, I'm going to try, but Chaucer can do it just as well as I can. Like, I think he even calls him kind of a, a brickhead with rhyme. That's funny. Like they kind of insult Chaucer on the way as they go, which is kind of funny, but Chaucer doesn't make any sort of evaluations. And I, this isn't the first time that he's done that. Like, opposing tales sure right the miller and the reeve told tales against Mm -hmm. each other and then the man of law tells one about marriage where marriage is this chase wonderful thing and then the wife of bath gives this counterpoint sort of like more yeah like comedy uh sort of like romantic comedy kind of thing yeah um but uh but it's just sort of fascinating that chaucer can have such different voices when his characters but, that, he, but he's writing all these stories. Right. Yeah. And even as you go, he'll change the meter. So the meter for the the man of law is A, B, A, B, B, C, C. So I, I know that's for those of you who don't understand or, or haven't ever been taught in the rhyming things. So that that's a rhyme scheme. So A, B, A, B would be like, I once bought a truck and took it on the road. I ran over a duck and then over a toad. Right. So A, B, A, B, truck, road. Duck, duck toad. toad. And so his is A, B, A, B, B, another rhyme, and then C, C, a rhyming couplet. Everywhere else, even in the introductions, it's rhyming couplets, hmm. including the wife of Bath. So occasionally he'll switch into a different rhyme, uh, different meter. And it really does have different character. The man of law talks repeatedly about faithfulness and about Christ and brings it into his tale and mm-hmm. everything's well organized. And some of the storytellers will be like, well, I, I don't have enough time, so I can't really go into this. And they'll move on where some storytellers don't do that. They have their tale all planned out. Mm-hmm. It's, it is impressive the depth and the span that, that Chaucer has over his, his voice. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So Great. any thoughts about the tales? Um, no, no, they're delightful. I must want to read it. How far into the story is this? Like what percent of the Canterbury Tales is have we gone so far? Oh man, I don't know, like a, f- a fourth, Okay, so maybe. Not, so there's still a lot more stories that come after this. Yeah, there are okay. a ton more stories. I don't know how many more I'm going to do on the podcast. I'm really enjoying them. I, like I think them. Yeah. they're just a hoot and a half. And I don't, I don't know when they're going to stop being beneficial to talk about on air or if you guys are going to get sick of them. If you have an opinion, let us know and I can move on and do something else. But man, Chaucer's just a hoot. I really like them. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. That's been classical stuff you should know. Um, If you are going on a pilgrimage, you know, just tell your own stories. And if you do that, send them our way. And unless they're like the Miller's Tale, then we'll have to read it off air. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) We'll still read them, but, you know, send it in the mail, not email. Um, But if you have uh, questions or comments, you can email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. You can tweet at us at classicalstuff, C-L-S-S-C-A-L, stuff on the twits. You can find our episodes on classicalstuff.net and... Yeah, uh, if you have ideas of episodes or things that we got wrong, tweet us or email us, and we will respond. Or, or we won't. Or <laughs> we won't. No, we will try to respond. Although we are coming up to the busy season of life of, as teachers, right? Um, and um, but yeah, so this is Graham, AJ, and Thomas signing off. Bye bye bye. bye.